Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world and welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. My name is Matt Hudson for What I Watch Tonight and joining me from across the pond is the statesman to my kingdoman, John Burke from Burke Reviews. How are you, sir? I am doing quite well, Matthew. How are you this evening? I am doing very well. I've got a very thick hoodie on tonight and I'm f- and for the oh. first time in a long time, for the first time in forever, as Arna would say. Uh, I am sweating, so at some point oh. you may hear me rustling and taking it off. But uh, other than that, my friend, doing uh, doing okay. I had a quick sleep before the show tonight, so I, um, oh. as I did, I recorded well sessions rested. yesterday. Had a sleep before that as well. I think it's become my new, it's become my new thing. Either that, or I'm just giving into age. But uh, I'm doing okay. Though, how are you? Keeping Florida safe? Uh, you know, doing our thing. Um, I'm drinking uh, an energy drink because I've I've just gotten off of work and I'm I need a pick me up. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's been cool. Uh, like this weekend was very cold, but like the last two days it it starts in like the thirties. And then by the time we get to the afternoon, it's into the seventies. Um, so it's that weird kind of Florida juxtaposition of like, it's so cold. And now it's like, it's too warm for a hoodie. What am I going to do? It's like Um, the, um, what's it called? The Goldilocks and the three bears of states. It's too cold, too hot. Yeah. Just right. It, it's very rarely just right. Um, I mean, 70 <laughs> degrees is not hot, but if you're dressed for 30 degree weather, it's quite hot, you know, like cause yes. it's, it's the sun is shining and you do feel warm if you're outside. Um, it's one of those things too, like where we go to bed, I have to turn the heat on or, uh, we, you know, we'll get cold. But then like, by the time you get home, if you forgot to turn the heat off, the air is not running. So it's, it's like the heat's not running either. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause it's too, too warm. Mm-hmm. Like now the house starts to get a little hot because there's no circulation. So like it's it's always a it's a struggle here in Florida with the temperature. Not that this is not a weather podcast, but it's it seems like something we constantly go to. It's that small talk window, but it it is interesting when it affects so much of your day, right? Like because the weather yes. really does dictate how you dress in the day, and it, depending on how you dress will depend on how comfortable you might be. Especially if you're, I love a hoodie. Like the wearing a hoodie is one of my favorite things, and we mm-hmm. rarely get to do it unless there are people in Florida who wear hoodies 365 days a year. I don't understand how you do that. I sweat quickly. And so like a hoodie is not an option if it's like 70 degrees or warmer for sure. So um, I love getting to wear my hoodie, but then I'm like, Oh no, if it's not, if I have to like kind of predict, is it going to be hot later? If so, then I'm going to wear a zip up hoodie. So it's easier to get off than like the pullover hoodies, which I prefer, but I like to wear those when I can wear it all day and not have to like worry about like pulling it up in public or whatever. Cause then it's awkward if your shirt comes up with it or whatever. Like <laughs> I hear that, it's not man. my preference. Well, okay. I, yeah, you go to work, I go to work. You, you, some, you're sitting next to somebody and how many times you turn around and, and look, Hmm. Oh, looks like it's going to rain today or, Oh, the sun's come out far. Everyone talks about the weather. It's just something to talk about. And on the BAMP, yep. we always, uh, we always discuss our cross continent, uh, weather. So, uh, so John's feeling hot tonight. I'm feeling hot tonight. And I wonder if this week's film is going to make us hot under the collar, uh, which may be inappropriate given the film. Yeah. However, <laughs> if you haven't seen, uh, listen to the uh, band before, we deliver non-spoiler reviews of all of our films. And on a Monday, we drop uh, a spoiler mini-sode with our thoughts. So this week, we are going to be becoming lukewarm in temperature about Sing 2, of course, to follow up to Sing Funnily enough, this was, again, directed and written and directed by Garth Jennings. Uh, it's got a, a wealth of talent in the cast, but um, for a start of a 10, it stars Matthew McConaughey, all right, all right, all right, Reese Witherspoon, Scarlett Johansson, Tori Kelly, Taryn Egerton, Nick Kroll, Nick Offerman. So many people are in this cast. It's unbelievable. Yeah. 
The synopsis from IMDb, Buster Moon, played by Matthew McConaughey, or voiced by Buster Moon and his friends must persuade reclusive rock star Clay Calloway to join them for the opening of a new show. Now, uh, is Clay Calloway's real-life voice a spoiler? No, I don't think so. It's, no, uh, okay. It's it was Bono. in the marketing. Yeah, yeah. Bono <laughs> it's, it's Bono. So Bono is Clay Calloway. Uh, so that's the synopsis. Critically, Rotten Tomatoes has it as 69%. Metascore down at 49. IMDB, the user score is 7.6 out of 10. And on Letterboxd, 3.6 out of 5. And for all of you fans of Sing or people who want to check this film out, it is available currently only in theatres around the world. So it came out uh, a month and a half, about five weeks earlier in the United States compared to over here, at least in the United Kingdom, which I've said last week, it baffles me. But then one of the films we're talking about in a couple of weeks, we get a week earlier, even though it's a big release. I don't don't understand the release window. So Sing 2. Sing came out in 2016. Uh, I thought Sing was good. I liked Sing. It made uh, a lot of a ton of money as well, considering you know it's it was a new animated property. It made six hundred thirty-four million dollars, which came out of nowhere, and it was released at the same time, give or take, as Rogue One. So uh, it had that to deal with. So the fact that it made, still made six hundred something million dollars is a is a big boost. But no, I, I like Sing. I wasn't entirely sure that it was, you know, franchise potential, but if it makes that much money, you can bet your bottom dollar the studio is going to be clamouring for a a sequel, which is exactly what we've got here. Uh, so for those who want to know, the studio is Universal Pictures and it's uh, Illumination. Just they, they are production company. So, uh, so sing to. I went to see this uh, on my Todd the uh, the other day because I didn't have my daughter at the time. I'm pretty sure she would have liked to have seen it. Uh, mm. But I went in not expecting the world because I, you know, I liked Sing, but I didn't expect to be blown away by Sing Two. I thought it was going to be, I want to say, much the same in in terms of like, kind of like story beats or or visuals. It is, for the most part, for me, you know, it's much of the much, but it feels bigger, this one does. It's a sequel, they've gone bigger um, it, because of the, the scope, and visually it's more impressive because of the the angle that the film takes in terms of this show that Buster Moon wants to put on, that, that needs to uh, become a bit bigger than we got in the first film, which it comparatively feels a little bit smaller than this now. So um, the film, as you probably expect, it's filmed, it's filled with just really nice things. You know, it's a really nice, sweet, saturine film for the most part. Um, but you got Bobby Cannavale's character. He's the, he's the villain, you know, again, very on the nose, very, he's playing up yeah. as the character, uh, as he should do as the animation style allows for as well. But um, his character is called, uh, help me out here, John. Jimmy guy. Crystal. Jimmy Crystal, of course. Jimmy Crystal, um, Bobby Cannavale, and his daughter's Portia, who's played by Halsey. Uh, so, again, another uh, one, another singer in the cast set. But, yeah, the film is, you know, a lot of the film is very on the nose. There's enough here for adults to enjoy. It's not 
and again, it's not, I don't mean to sound detrimental, but this isn't just a film just for the kids, as if that's a bad thing. It's not. But there's enough here for the adults to enjoy. There's plenty of pop songs or, or, or popular songs here for everyone. Uh, there was a moment in this where one of the characters is banging along to, headbanging, should I say, to System of a Down and Chop Suey. And I was like, oh, this takes me back, man. So um, there's a little something in there for the old metalheads as well. So, um, but... You know, it was. I wasn't as hooked on the charm this time around. That's what I will say. It's bigger in comparison, which isn't a bad thing. But I, you know, I quite liked the the first film's smaller vibe. Didn't dislike this film whatsoever. Full of wonderful messages. You know, follow your dreams. You know, never give up on your dreams. Uh, there's there's um, <clears throat> there's a lot of talk about conquering your fears throughout this film yep. there's a lot of good messages lots for the kids and adults as well to cling on to i think halsey is her character and her performance as portia she's a princess very entitled i thought she was the best uh certainly the best newcomer in this film as well matthew mcconaughey is always uh reliable um bono was clay i mean when when, when he gets to sing it's like okay that's bono outside of singing i thought well you know he's he's trying at least you know bono was a non-actor and he is trying but i i wasn't overly sold on his performance especially given the the emotion which was poured onto his character he is the emotional heart and soul and the crux of this film uh, and obviously his he has a personal tragedy which he has to overcome in order to get somewhere within the film and you know bono does what he can it wasn't fully sold, but listen, I thought this this film was 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 a lot of fun. It, I think the first film was better. I think this film is pretty much just the same as the first film. You know, they got they got to put on a show. How is it going to go? Is will there be another one? I don't know. It depends on how much money this makes. But you know, it is a fun, fluffy, nice, sweet ride. You're gonna get. You're gonna sing along. You're gonna tap your feet. The dance the dance numbers are great. The animated choreography is great there's some good laughs in there as well i don't mean to sound like i'm down in this film because i'm not there are some good laughs the voice performances 99 percent of them are very good uh, and you, when by the time you get to the end you're going to be smiling it's the kids are going to be happy what more can i say i had a i had a good fun time with this but i will say jp i did prefer sing from 2016 over this now i know though that you are uh, a big fan of this film, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I like. I had not seen either um, before watching them together. I watched the first one, I think, the day before I watched the second one. Yep. <laughs> um, I had no interest, partly because of the illumination uh, being the studio behind this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a big Minions fan of their goes. films, Minions, and uh, like I don't dislike Despicable Me, but I've not. It's not been one I've ever wanted to go back to, and I didn't see the third one. I bit. I only kind of saw the second one. Um, I did see Minions, and it's whatever. Um, <laughs> I I was watching the first one, and I had known that McConaughey was in it, but I'd forgotten. And I'm I was really impressed that his voice doesn't just sound like McConaughey, mm-hmm. um, especially if you were to compare it to his performance in Kubo and the Two Strings, a movie I love. <laughs> but he's not even trying to like disguise that it's Matthew McConaughey in that movie. Where. I, I didn't realize it was him until there's a moment in the first movie where Buster gets mad and he kind of yells. That sounds like McConaughey, but like every other line, it, it feels like a character. And I, I like that about this movie. Um, I, I love movies about musicians and how music or any art can help us grow and become better people or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, trying to find ourselves or where we fit into the world through art. 
it's a, it's a easy theme for me to latch on to. I do think watching the first one into this one helped. Um, partly because I really loved so many of the characters. Like I'm a big fan of Buster. Uh, it's hard not to like relate to Buster. And one of the things that I think this movie does really well is Buster initially comes off that he's going to be like a schemer and selfish, but there are moments where that that's not clearly like who he is. Like even in the first film, when that is kind of the plot, mm-hmm. he's constantly trying to do the right thing. Even when he's doing the wrong thing, like he, it's always, with good intention. And, um, I, I really like Rosita, which is Reese Witherspoon. I think Ash is a cool character. I think Ash doesn't get, well, Ash is prominent in sing too, but also feels like superfluous. Like her role isn't about her. It's just like Scarlett her. Johansson, isn't it? Yeah, it is where Ash has a pretty big arc in the first movie. Cause she has the like first film. the, the whole boyfriend story where here it's like, she's just going after clay. And like, there's not a lot of like, her own agency comparatively. I don't feel like it's like, she's just like, yeah, I'll get clay. That's it. There's really not anything there. Um, I think, uh, Taryn Egerton's, uh, gorilla Johnny has a cool dance sequence. I don't remember the dance partner's name to know who that was. Um, um was it, it Chelsea? Was, nope. Nope. That's yes, the talent scout. That's was, the talent scout. Wasn't it Leticia Wright's character? Uh, Leticia Wright, which I thought, uh, Nushi, I didn't, I don't remember that name at all, but I thought that was a cool dynamic. And I think those scenes are really cool visually. Um, cause it's more dance focused. Yep. Um, I also thought Halsey was very annoying, but that's what the character is supposed to be. Of course. Yeah. And, um, but the, when she gets to sing, man, she, you get to really hear Halsey's voice shine. Uh, she sings this girl's on fire, like the first song and just, crushes it i thought it sounded so good um but my i think the character that i really like the most in both films is mina and that's tori mm-hmm. kelly's character tori that's kelly. the elephant um i'm not familiar with tori kelly outside of this movies to be honest like i didn't know who that was i looked at the name like yeah, i don't know who that is I, I don't think i've heard a song um but the thing that to me collectively as a sequel why i think this movie works so well is it doesn't rehash the same bits from the first movie. We see the growth that they got from the first film, but this film has a similar related issue, but it's something different. So Mina is so shy in the first film. She's afraid to sing in front of anyone, but she's easily the most powerful singer that we hear in the movie. And that's uh, like the whole thing is her getting enough confidence to try. Mm -hmm. And the second film that's not her issue. She's confident singing. She doesn't like all of a sudden relapse and is like, I'm stage fright again, or, Oh, the stage is too big. Now it's different. It's well now Mina, because she's an introvert, her new conflict is dealing with love. She's asked to, cause it's more of like a perform. It's not a singing only. It's a, it's a musical that they're putting on. Yes. A space opera even, um, which is a cool kind of take on it. And, Mina's asked to like sing a love song, a duet with another person and doesn't know how to do that. And so now it's Mina like learning to get past her shyness and, and understand what it is to be in love and what love is like. And Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, the same character, a similar related issue, but not the exact same conflict. And I think so there's growth and development and they do carry that on from the first film for all of the characters for me. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I think this is a really good sequel. Um, I don't think it's necessarily better than the first, but I think this is a great example of what a sequel should do. It should not reset the status quo to like, as if the first movie didn't happen. 
but it should be a, an extension of that. These characters feel like they have grown up, but they have new problems, different issues. Like um, Rosita was, you know, trying to find like the respect of her family, but also be able to like have her own agency and do her own thing. She's now her family is supporting her. She's getting to do that, but now it's still like she still has that lack of confidence to voice what she wants or to stand up yeah. for what she wants. And I, I just love that we see these characters continue to grow, especially in a kids' movie where it would be very easy to just give them the exact same arcs, right? Like you wouldn't have to have kept everything; could have just reset. Buster could be a jerk again, and even though yes, he makes some mistakes, you understand why yeah. he's making the mistakes. Yeah, I think it's very competently written. There's there are live action sequels made for adults that are way worse than anything this movie's doing. So mm-hmm. like. Uh, I don't expect critics to praise a kid's movie anyways, especially one that is, it's mostly superficial. Like it's about the music. It's really, it's, you know, it's a showcase for these songs. Um, it is a jukebox musical, right? So they're songs that we're familiar with for the most part. I think there's a few, maybe original songs um, with maybe not. I can't remember what all the songs. It's been a, over a month since I saw this folks. So I, I liked it. I, I again had not had any intention of seeing it. Um, I was offered a screener, I was like, well, I guess I'll watch the first one and then I'll go ahead and watch the screener that I was given. And I was like, wow, I actually really enjoyed both of these movies. I think they're a lot of fun. If you're a fan of music and if you, uh, if you like movies where music is the thing that um, guides us to our true selves, I think you'll find a lot of joy in this. My biggest disappointment with the sequel is that John C. Riley's not in it. Cause I really like John C. Riley's character in the first movie. Um, he plays the lamb friend. Um, and I, I like, there's a whole scene where they wash a car, like, maybe too seductively for a kid movie. Cause it's like, <laughs> but it's, but it's, it's not the girl characters. It's, it's Buster and, and John C. Riley's lamb character. And it's hilarious. Cause I think uh, Buster's washing with his body and then the lamb character is, is drying the, the, with his wool. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's super funny, but like, we don't get that character in this movie. And I was disappointed. It was like, what happened? Where's John C. Riley? Cause uh, really liked him in that first one. But yeah, overall, I, I thought this movie was a lot of fun, and definitely, uh, I think where kids' sequels go, especially, I think it's really, really solid. No, oh, yeah, I can't argue with that. Yeah, I, uh, and that's why I tried to kind of <clears throat> do a one eighty towards the end there because I thought, blimey, I, I sound like I'm trashing this film. No, I, I did enjoy it, um, but you know, we tried to be as balanced as possible and pick out the good, the good parts and the bad. But um, yeah, there wasn't really anything bad about the film, was there? Do you know what I mean? It wasn't anything that's perfectly serviceable throughout. It was nothing bad. It was nothing which was, which was kind of groan worthy, cringe inducing, maybe 10 minutes too long. But I liked the choice of songs. There's some, you know, there's big songs in there that, like you said, that most people would have heard of and some other smaller ones as well. And uh, the main, uh, the main five in the cast do have a, do have a take on a very famous U2 song as well, which must be slightly nerve wracking when Bono's in the film and we'll hear it. So, you know, I'm pretty sure he was happy with that, but yeah, there was, there wasn't really anything wrong with it. And I think I agree with that final statement that in terms of certainly in terms of kids films and sequels, this is uh, actually very competently done. They don't reset the clock. The characters are the same as they were in the first film, but, five steps forward you know they they have they 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 retain their xp from the last film and that 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 sometimes that like you say can be thrown by the wayside or sequels can forget certain elements of their predecessors um just just to just to tell the story that they think they need to tell so i think sing 2 is perfectly serves perfectly decent i prefer the first film 
But I think certainly the young ones, I think they're going to have a good time with this. They're going to have a good sing-along. And if and I know this is awful to say, but if you like the first film, you're going to like this film. It's a cliche, but I do think that's the truth, though, especially yeah, kids. If I kids agree. like the first film and like the characters, then these are the same characters, just in a slightly different situation. So um, seeing two looks like it's going to get a thumbs up from the both of us. Definitely. Yep. So uh, on join us on Monday for a mm, spoiler chat of Sing Two, where at least we can kind of talk about specifics within the story more than anything else. So uh, yeah. that was our review then of Sing Two, and now we move on to our next segment, which we call Chuffed Headlines, and it's the movie or pop culture news or headlines that caught our attention for whatever reason. So, John, what have you gone for this week? So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna slight twist on this. My headline is Netflix's. Texas Chainsaw Massacre trailer brings back Leatherface and Sally Hardesty. Hardesty, yes. Hardesty. Oh man. Um, <laughs> but the the real headline that grabbed me was a a tweet, uh, not a tweet. Sorry, not a tweet at all. A text message from Big Tuna. Big Tuna gets referenced a lot on this show. Um, but I was at the gym yesterday and I got a message from him. Hang on, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Um, you're going to hear something out of my mouth that you probably never expected to hear in a million years. Oh no, go on. And I'm like, okay, I literally, the words I typed to him, Matt, go on. Exactly <laughs> that. Uh, I'm like, go on. <laughs> um, and the new Texas Chainsaw actually looks pretty dope, was his uh, text to me. Now, Man. what listeners, what you need context-wise, Big Tuna and I are of among the minority uh, who don't like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> um, <laughs> We know that many people find that movie to be like the be all end all of indie horror, uh, Toby Hooper's quote unquote masterpiece. And I just have never gotten into it. I watched it a few years ago. I, I don't think it's like bad necessarily, but I also did not understand why so many people loved it. Um, mm-hmm. it, it just to me, it was like, it was, I didn't find it funny. I found a lot of it actually like bad, like campy at times, mm-hmm. um, in ways that didn't work for me. And so I'm not a big fan of it. I kind of want to rewatch it. I've watched a lot of horror over the last couple of years and I've come around on a lot. Um, So I don't know if maybe it would work for me now, but before I talk about the new trailer, I am curious, Matt, I I don't know where this movie falls in your uh, world of horror. You're a big horror guy, Mm -hmm. but this doesn't feel like your type of horror to me. So yeah, with, with Toe Pooper, I'd much rather watch Poltergeist, for example. I much yes. prefer that to Detective oh, Transmaster. Probably um, Spielberg, really, but nevertheless. Yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with that. But uh, yeah, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I, it's not a film I find myself watching all that often because it's a grubby film. You can kind of smell yeah. it through the TV as you're watching Yes. It. And it's it's not meant to be a nice film. It's not like Tobe Hooper said, hey, look, look at this kind of, you know, PG-13 horror. I do think it is actually a PG or, or something like that. It's got a very low rating. It certainly did for what it actually is. But um, but it is put across, like you say, as an, it's an indie, it's a dirty, grimy, grubby indie film. And in that sense, it's a masterpiece because it gets that vibe. It sets that tone and is the blueprint. But... Yeah, it's not a nice film either. It's not, or it's not. Um, it's not even that's not a nice film. It's it's just not particularly. I know exciting. You know, I mean, like, you know, I say there's a lot on the band, but for me, I need to be hooked. Something's got to hook me in. I've got to, you know, I've got to, in, I've got to be into it, whether it's the characters or the bad guy or the story or or, or like an interesting MacGuffin. It's got to be something, and the Texas Chainsaw doesn't really have that. It's fine. I don't hate the film. I think it's you know when I first saw it, I was like this is balmy, and then the, the times I've seen it since. 
it's you know i always wince at certain parts but yeah it's 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 fine it's not my favorite horror film or franchise or villain by any means I did see it after I saw House of a Thousand Corpses, and I think a, there's a lot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre in House of a Thousand Corpses. God, yeah. Um, and so I, I, and I didn't love that movie, so I think it might have shaped also my kind of take. Like I've seen this, but I already didn't like it, kind of vibe. But much like Tuna, um, I went looking for this headline because of him. As so I mm-hmm. found like an article, you know, Texas Netflix's Texas Chainsaw, and I wanted to see this trailer and. I gotta say, I was kind of hyped by the trailer, too. Like, yeah. I'm like, this actually looks nice. great. And what I didn't know, what I'm super excited about, Elsie Fisher from 8th grade is in this movie. Yeah. And I haven't seen her really do anything since 8th grade. So I'm like, alright, cool. Uh, this Let's see what happens here. Um, this is in the same tradition that uh, Scream just made fun of. This is a legacy sequel. It's <laughs> erasing every other Texas Chainsaw Massacre except uh. for the original. Um, so this is a sequel uh, very much feels like Halloween because uh, they're bringing Sally Herdesty uh, back, different actress, but it's fifty years later, and yep. she the the twist to me in the trailer. This is not I don't know anything outside the trailer, folks. So this is not spoilers unless you don't watch trailers and then you can skip ahead. But if you're okay with trailer talk, that's what we're doing. Um, unlike Jody, uh, not sorry, Jamie Lee Curtis Jamie, in yep. the 2015 Halloween, where she's waiting for Michael. Like, she's ready for him, but she's waiting for him to come mm-hmm. to her for no apparent reason, by the way. I really want to point that out. There's no reason for her to think he would come after her because um, they erased all of the movies where that made sense. You but, weren't wrong. <laughs> but Sally seems to be hunting Leatherface. Like, uh, the the trailer says Leatherface is back, and she seems to be going after him. And I think yeah. that's kind of cool. Like, she's taking the fight to him. And I'm like, all right. All right, that's that's what we that's the Jamie Lee Curtis's character Laurie Strode in 2015 Halloween feels like she should be taking the fight to Michael and she isn't, um, and that's I think part of the problem. One, it's setting up the three sequel or well the three movies overall, which they probably don't need. This doesn't seem to be trying to set up additional movies, at least not in the trailer. I have no idea. Of course, they might. I'm sure they want to franchise this, um, but this has the vibe of a legacy sequel in a lot of good ways. Uh, it looks solid. The The production for Leatherface is really creepy and scary looking. There's some kills in the trailer that were brutal, or at yeah. least you may not see the full kill, but like you see like a lot of the, yeah, okay, here's the kill that's about to happen. And man, it, uh, it felt, it, it made Leatherface feel like the actual threat. And that's one of my issues with the original is that Leatherface is one of the threats. Like there's, mm. it's so centered it's the around the family. It, yeah. Um, and it's just like, I, if you're going to have a cool killer, I want that to be the centerpiece, right? Like I want Mike Myers to be the centerpiece of Halloween. I want Jason Voorhees to be the centerpiece of the Friday the 13th. And I want Freddy Leatherface didn't feel like that to me. He felt like one of the, he was like the weapon of the family, but the family felt, you know, threatening, but it's like, I don't know. It's just, it's missing that monster vibe. Cause that's mm-hmm. like, you think of like Freddy, Jason and Michael Myers, and they feel like the, the the 70s and 80s universal monsters, right? Like, they're this, like, Mount Rushmore of, of threats. And Leatherface could be on that, but he didn't feel that way in that first movie to me, where this trailer makes him feel like he could be that threat. And I think some of the other sequels have made him that. But if, if we're erasing those, this feels like the logical conclusion. Um uh, obviously there's stuff in that first movie where he is the, the guy it ends with him spinning the chainsaw, but it just, I don't know. It just didn't feel like 
we don't know what his motivation is. Like, you don't know what Michael Myers' motivation is, but you know what he's doing. You know he's, yeah. like, the killer. Where Leatherface, again, feels like he's being told to be this thing. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I want even the villain to have agency. I want them to do the thing that they think they should do, even if I don't agree with it. That's what makes them compelling and why they're so threatening is because they are driven by something we don't understand. And it's, you know, uh, this trailer, I'm, I think it looks really good. It's coming out on the 18th, in fact, of February. Um, up to him. So two, like, it's two it's weeks. A, yeah. We're just a couple of weeks away and we're going to have a, a, a legacy sequel of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The first legacy sequel, I think that's going to a streaming service for like a big, I, I don't know if you can call this a big franchise, but the first movie is major, right? Like even yeah. if you don't like it, it's a big impact. It's a big impact the legacy, on cinema. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, when, as soon as you said, because I mean, I, I, I'm sure I, I just don't know if you have been or not, but I've, I've been aware that this was in the pipeline that they were redoing a Texas yeah. Chainsaw Massacre film in some way, shape, or form. But when you were talking about the legacy sequel and uh, mentioning Halloween and that, and whether or not this was setting itself up for extra films, I think the fact that it's on Netflix allows that it won't feel quite as egregious, quite as gratuitous if. You know, if if, they, if this film comes out and gets good figures, if they then drop another one, you know, because they, they haven't come out and said, oh, we're going to do three of these, as you mentioned. We're not, we're not doing five of them. We, we're doing this one. So if it works, well, they're on streaming. They've got the platform now to, oh, well, I don't say quickly, but they can turn this round possibly, possibly quicker than they could cinematically. Uh, and they've been clever enough not to mention or not to announce that they're re- bringing back the franchise. They're just yeah. giving us a direct sequel. The interesting part for me, whilst I totally agree that the idea that Sally is taking the fight to Leatherface, which sounds balmy in itself, but it's uh, 50 years later, 50 years later. You know, some legacy sequels, you know, 30, 40. This is 50 years, half a century after the f- events of the first film. So... You know, what's we're going to find out why? why? Why is, you know, Sally been waiting so long? Why does she want Leatherface now? What's Leatherface been up to for 50 odd years? Has he just been, has he been, as, is he now the Laurie Strode? Is he waiting for um, his turn for her to come and get him? But I think we're not going to, I don't think we're going to get kind of the Home Alone vibe that we got at the end of Halloween. And I really like 2018's Halloween, but, you know, the whole, the house was, um, the house was done up to the max. The house was tricked out. I don't think we're going to get this here. Like you said, it looks gory. It looks very much in the vein of the 2003 remake, which I didn't think was that bad in, t- as, in terms of how remakes go. I don't think it was, what it wasn't one of the worst horror remakes ever. It's certainly better than the night, uh, nightmare on Elm street. Remake yeah, I actually, seven years I liked later. the remake. Um, that was Jessica Biel, right? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was two, I think about 20 years ago. So no, damn. That movie met and that I saw that in theaters and, I actually, I don't feel like I was aware of the old movies when I saw it for some reason. Like it had just not been in my, my Mm -hmm. group of friends. We had never seen it and they were marketing that reboot as if it were real. Like, I think there was even in the movie, like, I think it starts with like the, like these are events happened or something like, I think they try to sell it as this was a true story. And that really freaked me out. And it wasn't until I got out of the movie that I was like, what is this real? And found out, no, it was not at all real. Perfectly um, marketed then. If I um, remember correctly, I, I might be misremembering. I think that's the case. So, uh, can I just say, I was only aware of Elsie Fisher from eighth grade. Yes, yeah, same here. She, she's the voice of Agnes in Despicable Me 1 and 2. And is I she? had no freaking clue. No. Uh, and <laughs> No. 
And apparently she's in the, uh, I didn't see the animated Adams family, but I guess she's in that too, which I did not uh, see. But- I didn't see that. I kind of gave that a fairly wide berth, but, um, I'd know it. And I've seen like most people in the world have seen the Despicable Me films. And I know yeah, who Agnes is. I've no, a- I've Agnes is the little daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, yeah. she's the one who wants the unicorn because it's so, so fluffy. Squishy. That's it. Or fluffy. Sorry. Um, I had no idea. Well, she's now gone from that to, um, hanging about in Harlow, Texas, and is possibly going to get dis- absolutely mutilated by wow. Leatherface. But well, she was only five when she did the voice of Agnes in twenty ten. I guess when when twenty ten came around, it was just a, a child actor doing a voice. Whereas now we yeah. have some like eighth grade to put a name to, and now Texas Chainsaw Massacre it is a it is an about term. But I do like it when an actress or actor spreads their wings and tries something different. So. Um, apparently the, yeah, the town has been, um, terrorized by Leatherface because some kids, um, disrupted his slumber basically. And Sally Hardesty still lives in that town by the sounds of it, which is a very strange choice. But, uh, I look, I think uh, what I haven't said was the trailer. I think the trailer's decent. I, I think the trailer was surprisingly very good. I, I liked it. I'm always, I'm always excited for a new horror film. Even if you know, even if it's a legacy sequel or it's jumping off the back of a film that isn't very good, i.e., the Conjuring films half the time, but I'm always excited for a new—I don't say tentpole, but you know, big name horror release. Which of the of, of this is because uh, of which this is, like you said, it's the legacy, it's the impact that the first film has. This is a direct sequel to that first film. It's the new trend. I'm here for it. It was. I mean, we only got 17 days to wait, and I look. I hope it's. I hope it's a good film underneath all of the obvious gore and brutality. Yeah, I, I have the same hope. What about uh, for you? What headline did you find this week? Uh, I have gone for a headline which involves uh, M. Night Shyamalan. This is by Warren Elliott of Screen Rant. The headline is M. Night Shyamalan cast Dave Bautista because of Blade Runner 2049. And it's talking about uh, Shyamalan's new film, Knock at the Cabin of which Dave Bautista is going to be starring in. And he, uh, M Knight saw him in Blade Runner and there was something, something about it, something about his performance, which made him want to cast him in his film. And this is a film. He said it's the fastest he's ever written a script. And remember old was only last year. So, but he said about Dave Bautista, he quote, I quote that he says, there's a type of stillness where you're not doing, where, where you're not doing nothing. You're doing everything. And you're still, Every cell in your body will do what it's supposed to do if you're thinking something correctly. And Dave was embodying all of his philosophy in that scene. I didn't know who he was at the time, and he stuck in my head. So when the script came, I was like, there seems to be the one guy who can play this giant human being and do the stillness. So I asked Dave, which is the kind of thing you say when you're at work or, you know, go and ask Dave. You know, Dave, Dave, will, Dave will know. But um, So Batista has been tapped up by a, a director of some pedigree because of of his performance yes it was a quiet performance but batista in 2049 he worked in that performance because they played to his strengths then even have played to his strengths that batista is a big dude he's an imposing presence and in that film that film that was pretty much his job be a presence don't really say too much and fight and it, and you know he, he it worked so i can see why he why he stood out but it's interesting to hear now that he's getting headhunted for these product products because he said himself he wants to work on with the, with these big directors he doesn't want to do things like the fast and furious and stuff like that but he will do those awful straight to tv soccer films um so i think this is interesting 
you know, fair play to Dave Bautista. I, I don't think he's one of the best actors out there. He's, you know, in, in comedy, he's he's got decent comic timing. Like most wrestlers seem to you look at Dwayne Johnson, John Cena, when you can see him, they've all got very good comedic timing or comedic presence. And Bautista has that as well. But now he wants to jump into the, um, to more dramatic roles. He's going to be in a, I'm going to call it a horror film, a horror thriller, if it's uh, Shyamalan. But I, I, and there's not much that's known about the the film itself. So in terms of what he's going to be doing in it or what the film is going to be about, we don't really know. It's not going to be coming out until this literally a year today, February the 3rd, 2023. So Dave Batista has been headhunted for his stillness. JB, what are you thinking about Batista being headhunted so for his stillness? I talk about the uh, Blank Check podcast quite a bit. Um, yes, sir. They have argued that he is the best among the wrestler actors. Um, and part of that is because a lot of the movies that you kind of took a jab at there that he's done, like the straight to DVD stuff was his early stuff. Um, like there's a movie called wrong side of town, uh, <laughs> house of the rising sun. Um, and uh, apparently this is, I, I have not done my research outside of hearing them talk about it, but um, he saw those movies was, embarrassed and took acting lessons like he actually went to become an actor ver- after doing enough. a lot of these uh things and you see that progression i think with drax i think drax was the first time you see him actually like giving a performance and not just being the big muscly bound guy even though he is there's so much more going on with drax and the way he has to do drax is exactly what m9 Shyamalan described right he's very stoic and still um and yet there's so much emotion and, and information that comes off. And then, like you said, with Blade Runner is the same. Um, I, I was a WWE guy, especially when Batista was around. Um, I didn't love Batista in WWE. Uh, sometimes he was too much on the microphone, um, but I've grown to like him. And like, if he's in a movie, I don't think of it as a bad thing. I gave uh, Snyder's army of the dead a watch mm-hmm. because Batista was in it. I didn't um, mind that film. I didn't mind it. I, I don't think he does anything specifically amazing in it. I think he has a few dramatic moments that don't, don't quite didn't fully work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was cool in Spectre, even though Spectre, I don't like, I didn't, he wasn't my issue with that movie. <laughs> no, Spectre didn't fail because of Batista. Right. Um, I actually liked him in Hotel Artemis, which is a movie that I think was almost completely forgotten, but that was the John Wick kind of yep, like, hotel I saw movie. That. Yep. I wasn't a it massive was fan funny. of the film. No, but I don't think, again, he was the problem with that film. Um, and I have, and I will continue to fight for Stuber. I think Stuber <laughs> is hilarious. You are the um, only one, I think. I Because I love Kamel, damn it. I don't care. <laughs> Kamel's great. I love great. Kamel, but come on. He's going to be I, an Obi-Wan Kenobi soon. But I was laughing film. at that movie so hard. Um, again, I think it's stupid, but it's it's not trying to be anything but stupid. And it, it's funny to me. Um, I haven't watched it since I saw it. That's the perfect. That's the best part of the bump. We disagree, but we still we still have fun. But Batista's oh, yeah. credits, though, do like I say Dune. Uh, he's he's yeah. in Knives Knives Out too coming up, which is not oh. which is not a small production either by a small director. He's very. We can all laugh at Batista and you know pick pick him up for certain scenes, which he's not great in. And you know we're going to be honest, he hasn't uh, he hasn't quite nailed the acting in the emotional scenes for the most part for me. But you can't knock the fact that these directors want to work with him and he's getting cast in these big roles. Even if he is being cast as the muscle, the bodyguard, the imposing figure, he's still being picked and he's still being selected. He's still he's not having to audition. They are headhunting him. He's well, one thing great directors and great actors, man. So I think he has over the rock, though, mm-hmm. is he's not worried about his persona first. 
I think the rock is more concerned with being the, the rock brand, or yeah. the brand than, than he is about the movies that he's doing and won't do certain movies because he's worried about how it will impact the brand. I don't think, I think Batista wants to act and I think that's I significantly that. different um, for with the roles that he's willing to take. Like he's willing to take the back world. Like his in Dune, he's, I think he's going to be more important in the second one mm-hmm. than what he was in the first Dune. And I think that, you know, um, he's willing to do that because he actually loves the process. And that's something that I don't, I don't know. I'm not saying the rock doesn't love the process. And I think rock has fun making movies, but I think he is first and foremost worried about how people perceive him. I think Cena isn't there. I think Cena has found his go-to with comedy. Yes. Um, and I, I, I love Peacemaker. I'm going to talk about the show here in a minute, but I love this show. I think James Gunn is so underrated um, because he's so in your face with content. Like he's making content that's not for everybody, but I just think James Gunn is so talented and I, I am such a fan. Um, and what Lucene has done there, but Batista is taking interesting roles. He's getting opportunities, which means he must be something of a joy to work with to some degree, right? Yeah. Like he, because I think he likes the process, and that's something. I don't know if a lot of the other wrestlers turn actor, um, which we didn't see a lot of success until The Rock. You know, Hulk Hogan tried and failed oh. miserably. Oh. Like the Hulk Hogan performances, even the one in Rocky where he's playing a wrestler, he's playing himself, great. a heightened yeah. version of himself. Yeah. Um, but like most of the Hogan movies are not good. Uh, the stone cold movies, stone cold's not bad, but the movies that he's been able to get have never been very good. Yeah. Um, I think, too. yeah, the best, you know, uh, Kevin Nash had a little run cause we forget Kevin Nash is the Russian. I don't know why in the Punisher, the Thomas Jane, the Punisher movie, but he's also like a lot of wrestlers are in the longest yard with Adam Sandler. Um, cause I guess they couldn't get football players. So they got the next best thing, mm-hmm. which were professional wrestlers. Um, like Goldberg's in that, Stone Cold's in that, uh, Kevin Nash is in that. Um, I think there's like two more wrestlers who I'm not thinking of that are in that. But I want to say uh, Kevin Nash also played Super Shredder in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Two: Secrets of the Really, I do I did believe not know that. Um, he doesn't have any real true. lines though. But no, also, just, uh, <laughs> uh, when when Thor came out, there was a as as happens, there were like straight to DVD knockoff versions of Thor, and he was one <laughs> no, of them um, for no. sure. Um, yeah. The vehicle hasn't been the best, have they? He's definitely. I think Batista on paper, if you just if you just list the films. Not necessarily how much dialogue was spoken or even screen time, but just the CV is probably the most solid of any wrestler turned actor. And to be fair, I mean, his best role is playing a stoic comic book character, but that's not, you know, in today's time, like the Guardians, again, James Gunn, uh, just absolutely brilliant um, use of him. And he's, you know, he's had a, a big turnaround since that movie. And, there is performance there. Like I, you can't look at Drax and just say he's just a muscle guy. Cause he's no, so no. much more. Some of the, the best lines in the second volume two is, is his, like he has mm-hmm. so many funny lines him and the relationship with Mantis in that movie is so good. Like it's, it just cracks me up constantly. And then, uh, you know, his, his roles in Endgame and, and infinity war were also solid, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to Thor, uh, love and thunder and guardians volume three, but also, uh, I want to see Knives Out 2 so bad. Can't oh, wait for bruh. that. Um, Dude. 
I mean, well, I'm seeing the other detective movie here in a couple of days. I'm not as excited about, but you know, yeah. I mean, I think Murder on the Orient Express came out the same year that Knives Out did as well, and that was no, it was near very close, decent yeah. as well. Oh, I didn't hate the Murder on the Orient Express mainly because Daisy Ridley's in it, but um, Knives Out was one of the best films of the decade for me. Um, but uh, for, on Batista, though, dude, we we can say what we want about him. The dude, he's not just getting steady work; he's getting steady work with prestige directors and huge films. He's, you know, he's not getting steady work and straight to DVD. He's getting steady work in the biggest films going at the minute, all with the biggest directors. So you hear that, Bruce Willis? All right. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Take that, Bruce. Uh, so um, we don't mention him very much on this show. I wonder why. So uh, yeah. that will that will be our chuffed headline segment for this week. Now let's move on to media consumption. And in this section, we talk about the movies, TV series, video games, music, podcasts, and art ours, comics, whatever it might be that we've used to pass the time since the last episode. So John, what you've been checking out? Well, uh, as I've mentioned the blank check podcast many times, they're currently doing Jane Campion films. So I'm watching Jane Campion stuff. Um, I have found, uh, I, I, thanks to you, Matt, you gave me a very generous Criterion gift card for Christmas. So I okay. pre-ordered the piano on Criterion. Um, and that came in the same week that they were going to do the episode on the piano. So I watched the piano for the first time. Matt, have you ever seen the piano? Yes, sir. I have. I was very apprehensive about going into that movie. I was like, there's no way I'm going to enjoy this. <laughs> it's so freaking great. Holly Hunter, man. I, she won the she, Academy Award for that film. Well, yeah, and well-deserving. And mm-hmm. also, um, Anna Paquin is almost the youngest. She doesn't yeah. beat the record, but 11-year-old Anna Paquin wins the Oscar. Yep. Um, I I was I was impressed with so much of that movie, but Harvey Keitel shocked me, because I had only seen him in Scorsese and Tarantino films, really. And uh, he's not... I like him in those roles, but it's a pretty typecast criminal role in most of those movies, with the exception of Judas in Last Temptation of Christ, which may have been the worst cast in that movie. Um, He pulls off this character that it's kind of complex. And, you know, I I was blown away by the piano. So I also I listened to the episode, but I also watched the movie the same week. And man, what a movie. If you haven't seen Jane Campion's The Piano, I highly recommend it. Totally Uh, agree. Crazy good. Like, I, I... I'm not usually one for period pieces and especially like period romances don't usually work for me. This is not any other period romance. So there's so much unique stuff and Holly Hunter barely speaks in this movie, but my God, can she act like she's given you so much with like no words. It's just insane. Um, uh, I caught uh, a documentary at Sundance called my old school. Mm-hmm. Matt, don't look this up. Don't look, don't it, look up, it up. Watch, watch it. Uh, I th- it's, this is going to be in the same vein of like three identical strangers, which I've recently found out you haven't seen. Um, and also uh, tickled. I also found out you have not seen. Uh, <laughs> these are documentaries where they have a, as the narrative story of the documentary unfolds, you are given reveals. So there's like twist and they are shocking and compelling in every regard of those three movies that I just listed. Um, I, my old school is the new one. Uh, it is the least stakes, like the, uh, the, the twist, there's not like a big consequence of the twist, but there's still, it's a really compelling story. Cause every time you're like, Oh, well this is that. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> um, th- I think three identical strangers and tickled go to like crazier places, but it's the same kind of reveal. Like as you're watching, you're like, wait, no way that can't be. And then you're like, Oh, it is okay. Crazy. Um, so my old school, um, I'm going to skip around a bit. Uh, I watched Carol for the first time, the 2015 Todd Haynes film, um, mm-hmm. for, uh, we are doing sad sacks this month yeah. at movie club. 
And so I had not seen it. Um, really great movie. Gorgeous film. Uh, I mean, Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara deliver. They were just in Sarah Nightmare Alley that we reviewed last week. Yes, they um, were. Really good. Uh, a surprise movie for me. American Underdog. It's the Kurt Warner story. And I, uh, 1999, am a big fan of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And they, Kurt Warner, led the Rams to beat us and go to the Super Bowl. We were one game away from going to the Super Bowl. Kurt Warner's story. That's his Cinderella year where he makes a name for himself. Um, this movie stars Zach Levi and a Paquin again. Um, so she's mentioned twice in this and, um, Dennis Quaid kind of Dennis Quaid's kind of not in it that much to be honest. But, um, I was impressed with how good this movie is. It's directed by the same guys who did the, um, uh, Jeremy camp movie, which is uh, I'm gonna, the Irwin uh, brothers. Yeah. The Irwin brothers. They, they've done a lot of Christian films. Um, you know, whether or not you believe in Christianity is not the point, but a lot of times Christian films are not very well made. They don't feel like they've ever seen movies before. Like they're just uh, <laughs> on the nose. And those, the blind, it's not blinded by the light. That's a different movie. It's, it's, there's a Jeremy camp movie. And then there's the mercy me movie. Both are like names of songs. I cannot think of what either of them are called, but they're both well-made. I actually, my wife loves both of those movies. I've seen them. I think they're both well-made. Um, they're inspirational stories. And then they also did a documentary last year called uh, Jesus Music, which we just bought. We have not watched. My wife, again, big fan of, of these movies. Um, this movie has those, uh, there's Christian undertones for sure. Um, but it's it's a really well-told story. It is it is a compelling story on the surface. Kurt Warner's story is pretty wild. Nothing crazy. Like, he doesn't, like, you know, sur- he just, he shouldn't have been able to get the shot in the NFL, and he does, like, despite everything being against him. And once he gets there, he makes the most of it. And it's a compelling story. And it's, it's of a lot of these stories. It's one of the most, like, there's no reason he makes it, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, it's, it's just, he's driven to do the thing and he, he's constantly doing it. He seems to make pretty good life choices where a lot of other people, that's the thing I kind of liked about it. It's like the only underdog thing is that no one thinks he has what it takes. And he just believes that he does. And apparently he did because he succeeds. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, I kind of like that. It didn't feel, it doesn't feel melodramatic because it's not like, oh, his leg was ripped off and then miraculously stitched back together. There's no like wild, you know, or he had a major drug addiction and overcame like nothing like that happens to him really. Um, there are some melodramatic moments in the movie that you can expect for a movie like this. There's going to be like, there has to be some conflict or drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the, the cast is really good. And there are two, bit players or character actors who've done a lot of work, but I'm not really familiar with them that get monologues given to them that should have been given to like one of the, like you would expect like Zach Levi to get this, although it wouldn't make sense because he's Kurt Warner or like you bring in Dennis Quaid. He's the coach. You think he's going to get to give the big coach speech. That's really going to like make the movie, but instead they give it to this other guy whose name I'm not going to remember. And it's, he nails it, dude. Like the, they're, they crush these monologues and I'm like, that shouldn't happen. It's like the, they're living the underdog story because here are these two character guys giving these big moments and they they nail it. And it could have felt you know so flaky. It could have felt like a Lifetime movie and it's not. And I was really blown away by it. I think it's a really... Under, I think right now it's probably not getting seen because people are writing it off or like, ah, Kurt Warner, who cares? It's great. And Tuna will back me up on this and he's not a fan of sports movies. I am. I actually like sports movies a lot. Um, even though I don't keep up with sports anymore, I used to. So I, I, there's still a place in my heart where I like sports. So sports films are where I usually fill that itch, right? There, that's a weird way to say yeah. it. I scratched that itch. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought this was great. So if you get a chance, and anybody out there, American Underdog, I highly recommend. Um, 
so in 2019, or I guess it's 2020, but like I think the movie's dated is 2019. But the platform came out while we were in the middle of Bampocalypse. Uh, yes. It came out on Netflix, and I was like, Bampocalypse messed me up between the actually being on quarantine and then us like diving into those movies. We did it thinking it would be fun, but it, it just made me like I was sad, and so I didn't watch the platform then. Um, and I've got this, this has happened to me now twice in the last couple of weeks where in one day, two different people, not knowing that they were doing this, recommended that I watch a movie no. and, I, and I felt like, okay, I have to watch it then. Cause it's weird that it came up twice. So yesterday, two different students in two different class periods asked me, had I seen the platform? I'm like, you know what? I haven't, but the fact that it's come up twice, I'm going to watch it tonight. And That's then so weird. I saw it when it came out on Netflix. I almost didn't watch it because I, I forgot about it when I got home because I got wrapped up and stuff. And I was like, I have, I had an hour and a half before we were going to record for movie club because we recorded early this week. And I looked and it was 90 minutes. I'm like, Oh, that's a sign. Like two people asked <laughs> yeah, about yeah. it and it's the exact amount of time I have to watch a movie. And Oh man, that movie grabbed me. I, it's, I was freaked out. Of course it's messed up, but it's really, really good. So I'm not surprised so many people talk about it. I'm not surprised that people are still somewhat talking about it. Cause it's one of those movies um, especially if you're like a teenager and you see this, it's going to leave an impression because you've probably never seen anything like it before because it is messed up uh, for, like in a lot of ways. But man, the commentary, the thoughts, I have a lot. I, I really am still processing, but I really enjoyed it. Um, a couple nights ago, I watched another Jane Campion film, In the Cut. Haven't seen that one. Dude, it's on Netflix right now, at least here in the States. And it's Mark Ruffalo. Um, ladies, you get to see some of uh, the down below area of Mark Ruffalo because that is a Jane Campion staple. She likes to show her uh, lead male uh, genitalia when possible. Yes, um, she does. And, but Meg Ryan in this movie blew me away because I've only really seen Meg Ryan as like rom-com actress, right? Harry mm-hmm. Met yeah. Sally, Sleepless in Seattle, You've Got Mail. Even her very small role in Top Gun, she's like the quirky blonde love interest to, to mm-hmm. Goose. She's this movie completely different performance for her. She is tremendous. It, it's such a dark and twisted movie. Kevin Bacon is like super creepy and scary in this movie. Like it's, it's wild. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee playing Jennifer Jason Lee type character, to be honest, um, <laughs> yeah. kind of, especially later J- Jennifer Jason Lee type character, but she's great. I always like her. Um, it, it, man, it, what a movie. It's really, really good. It's super, it's got, definitely, uh, it's not a neo-noir, but it's kind of got that, that sense to it, but it flipped because it's a female lead instead of the male protagonist. Um, Ruffalo as per usual is fantastic though. Just super good. Um, all right. So last I saved this movie for last. Sorry if I'm taking so long on this photo. No, no, my friend, big tuna pushed real hard that, um, if I got a chance to see cha-cha real smooth at Sundance that I do, and it, it won the audience award. And so they, all their award winners, they issued one last screening for over the weekend. And uh, I, I bought a ticket, watched Cha Cha Real Smooth. Um, I have not seen this filmmaker's movies. He's only done two, which is including Cha Cha Real Smooth. Um, and uh, I was not familiar with him at all, but his name is um, Cooper Ra- Rafe. And he is also the lead. He has Adam Scott vibes, in my opinion, okay. um, but like a little higher energy than Adam Scott. Um, this movie has Dakota Johnson, uh, Leslie Mann, Brad Garrett, um, and a couple of other newcomers, but. If this isn't my favorite movie of the year, at the end of the year, I will be surprised. Oh, um, wow. Okay, I'm in. Okay. Uh, it, it hit so many of my buttons, uh, so many of my checkboxes. I <sighs> laughed. I cried. I was sitting after the movie talking to Kathy 
uh, while we were eating lunch and I like tears were started rolling down my eyes. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm thinking about this movie. Like it, it resonated so many in so many good ways. So there's so many moments where this movie could go off the rails. And every time you think it might, he just knows because he also wrote this, like this dude crafted just like a masterful movie. Um, it's so good. Uh, there's so many little things. Uh, Dakota Johnson continues to shed her Fifty Shades nonsense oh, and just tell us how great she is. And um, I, I love this movie. And the best part, everybody, is Apple TV bought it. So at some point this year, it will be on Apple TV Plus. Um, which, if this, if my prediction holds true, and this ends up being my favorite movie of the year. It'll be two years in a row that an Apple TV Plus movie from Sundance is my favorite movie because okay. Coda was my favorite movie from last yeah. year. So I hope this isn't a pattern because it seems weird. Uh, but it is like, uh, you know, I loved Coda. I came, I didn't get to see Coda at Sundance. So I didn't see Coda till like just the end of the year um, where this I got to see at Sundance and then Apple bought it. And I'm like, oh, that's a weird coincidence because I, this movie just checks the boxes for me, man. It's all over the place. It's a, um, it's a guy getting, he's graduated college and the question of now what is in front of him and he doesn't, you know, he's trying to figure it out. He meets, you know, things there's uh, elements of like the wedding singer in this. Like it's just so many things that I love and done so well. And it, it, I, I noticed this with Ted Lasso, but when, when movies feel like aware of the world and like that, like, cause the, the choices that happen in Ted Lasso often feel so like mentally healthy and emotionally healthy and good that's a lot of what this movie feels too is like there's every time you think it's going to go like too dramatic or that he's going to be like the dumb teenage or he's 20 or something year old but like he's going to make the dumb choice the way it's written just feels so refreshing and Mm -hmm. original so uh cha-cha real smooth even the name of it um yeah i i love this movie i can't wait i hope i get to be able to own it that's the one thing i'm apprehensive about with apple tv we don't really know, like, are they going to release it on a, a physical copy? Is it going to be something you can get on Criterion? Because um, I, this is a movie I definitely could see rewatching like a lot. So um, that was the last movie that I watched, and then I mentioned Peacemaker episode five. Um, I think this show is masterful. It's on HBO Max. I know you can't see it yet uh, because of that. Um, I hope that's resolved soon. I certainly hope so. And lastly, something I know that you've seen, and that's why I waited for the end, is The Book of Boba Fett, Episode 5. Without spoilers, folks, it's by far the best episode (laughs) of Book of Boba Fett, and it's the only episode of Book of Boba Fett that doesn't have, well, Boba Fett. So, it speaks volumes. Yeah, I I text John after I'd seen it last Wednesday, and I I, I think I said something like, I think you're going to like this. You're going to like this one. I think this is the one that's going to make you like this ep- the episode at least. But I think you're going to have questions, and you did have questions, and we spoke about it afterwards based on the statement you just made about the titular character himself. So, um, yeah, I I really like this particular episode for many different reasons. Um, but I really hope that the last two episodes uh, bring it back on track for the title character i get what people are saying online that well this is just a chapter in the book and they're they're crossing they're crossing the streams with the with the streaming series which is fine but the the show is literally called the book of boba fett you know you, you can't you can't you know call people daft or anything for expecting it to be about boba fett you know even even when boba showed up in the mandalorian you know the focus was still 
you know, Boba stole the show, but Mando was, you know, still around. He, we, he was in the, for the first third of the episode and fighting alongside Fennec and Boba and trying to k- k- stop Grogu from being captured. Too. Yeah, Boba was in his in Mando's show, but he, it was a shared experience for us. This yeah. episode was slightly different, but I'm excited for the final two episodes of which uh, one of them will have already aired by the time this goes out so yeah i hope we get hbo max over here soon as well and i was about to cancel my apple tv subscription um but then you've mentioned cha-cha real smooth but if it's not out yet i'm still going to cancel it and save myself five bucks five pounds and then i'll get it when it comes out again i think because yeah to hear you say that in from the first week of february with with, with 10 months 11 months perhaps pretty much to go still that is is almost you know nailed on certainly to be up there in your top echelons of the films of the year already with such confidence, I got to see this man and I will see it as soon as it drops. Yeah. I, I can't wait to get other people to be able to see it again. Big Tuna was, I think feels similarly that I do. Um, and you know, he was like, Adam, he's like, you got to watch this movie. And uh, again, it won't land as hard for everybody, mm-hmm. but man, if it does, like it, you're gonna, this is gonna be one of those movies that you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is one of those comedies that you can come back to and, and rewatch. And again, it's more than just a comedy, but it definitely the humor that's there is really well done. Like it's very very fun. Color me sold. I can't wait to check that out. So um, you mentioned the Bampocalypse earlier on, which for those who don't remember, we did a we did some short mm-hmm. episodes where we covered pandemic or outbreak um, inspired films which it was a inspired choice because we thought it would only be a few months before we got back to normality yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i say that every time and every time it kind of elicits a sigh like ah, little did we know but one of the films we watched was um was a spanish horror film wreck which um i think that film was that's great it scared the living hell out of me the first time i saw it and it's always effective every time i see it uh, i really watched it uh, i picked it up on blu-ray for literally about a buck for our American listeners, about 50p in the, in the United Kingdom. Uh, so I bought that on Blu-ray, not going to say no to that. Uh, and I enjoyed it just as much. Uh, the Social Network, I, I watched that. I've had it on, on physical for a while, but I, I think we've mentioned it. We mentioned it last week when we were talking about Fincher. I thought, I've seen The Social Network. I love this film. I think the social network is fantastic. Oh yeah. But I never go back to it. And it's not because it's not watch rewatchable because it really is. But, yeah, it um, is. It, I don't know why I just haven't seen it in, in the longest time compared to some of his other films that aren't Benjamin Button. But I, I went back to rewatch it and that, God damn that film, you know, all of the elements combined, the writing, directing, the cast is, and the story, of course, is unbelievably good film. I think the front of the box calls it a modern masterpiece. I think you know, they're not half wrong about that. Um, and I sat down to watch Encanto, as well finally on disney plus uh it took me a while to get around to it but i watched it and i thought encanto was decent really decent actually i quite enjoyed it and um what was the last one i saw i know it wasn't encanto isn't a pixar film but i think the last disney pixar film i saw was luca uh encanto is just a disney film um, yeah disney anime. but i was burnt by luca because i thought that was not very good uh, whereas in Canto, I thought was really good. I really like the story. I really like the characters an awful lot and their depiction and portrayal. And the songs are very, very good. I know that's probably a, not really a very, not really a hot take anymore, but the songs no, are catchy and they are, that's what I want in a film like this, in a, in a Disney film. I want the songs to be memorable. And I really like the songs in Encanto. So, uh, can recommend that for those out there, especially if you've got, um, little bands, little kids running around as well. So three kind of different films there, but, for the first time in a while, you know, I've had a good film 
good week watching film, mostly older ones. But uh, hopefully in the next few weeks when we're catching up with the big blockbusters or the tent poles or the major releases so far, hopefully that run carries on. Um, I finished watching Star Wars Resistance as well, the animated show, and um, surprisingly for me, I enjoyed it. I don't, I don't think it's above Rebels or Clone Wars in terms of Star or even the Bad Batch in terms of Star Wars, but it was much better than I ever gave it credit for. So um, anyone from listening who made that show, sorry, <laughs> it's quite good. And yeah, the book of Boba Fett, looking forward to the final few episodes of that. So um, pretty standard week for me, busy weekend as usual. So I think for this time, I wanted to just sit down and watch certainly two films, which I know I'm going to have a good time with in varying ways. So I got what I wanted, my friend. So that's your call. That's what I've been consuming this week. And what we consume generally makes us feel bloody awesome. Comfort films, comfort watches, comfort listens make us feel bloody awesome. But it's not just that. We need other ways to keep us feeling and staying bloody awesome so we can deliver the bloody awesome movie podcast to you. This, is, this isn't a pretty tepid movie podcast. It's a bloody awesome one. So we have to find ways to keep those levels up. So, John, what you been doing this week to stay bloody awesome? Uh, I've been buying physical media. Um Yeah. I, I got a couple of new uh, movies, a couple of literal new movies. I got Last Night in Soho on 4K Blu-ray and mm-hmm. also No Time to Die for 4K Blu-ray. Nice. Um, because, uh, well, it, they had No Time to Die on sale for 20 bucks at Target on the 4K. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'll take that. I actually really <laughs> liked No Time to Die. So I was like, sounds good. But the big uh, thing was I went to a, a local Dollar Tree and because physical media is dying, Dollar Trees are buying up Blu-rays and DVDs and putting them on sale for now a dollar twenty-five. It used to be a dollar, but um, I found one. Uh, apparently, there's a lot of Shutter Originals like uh, had DVD releases that Dollar Tree now has because I got Yummy, Revenge, and three copies of One Cut of the Dead because oh, I love I love that movie and I was like I want a copy for myself, but I also want copies in my school library because I want students to be able to check this movie out because it's so cool. Um, but I found like the Jesus rolls, which I had not seen, but that's the, uh, John Turturro sequel to big Lebowski mm-hmm. that features, uh, Jesus. Um, I got <laughs> silence and New York, New York, Martin Scorsese movies on DVD. And did, um, have you seen silence? Cause I know you saw the filmography, oh, but you did watch. Silence. I saw silence yeah. in the theater uh, no, with same, my yeah. far too young daughter, but nevertheless, she loved course, that movie as yes. well. Um, I, I couldn't help but buy, uh, the, the man who killed Don Quixote, the Terry Gillum film. Cause I hadn't mm-hmm. seen it. Yeah, and I was like, it's one. a dollar. Dollar twenty five, um, but yeah. So I got a bunch. I think I got like twenty movies uh, for a dollar twenty five each. Some iconic, like older movies. The the crazy deal. While I'm not a fan of any of these three films, um, nor have I seen them to be fair. But uh, the best of me, the longest ride, and Safe Haven, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. three disc set. Like it's three individual disc for a dollar. Dollar twenty five. Jesus, um, I was like, well, I can pass that up because it's like forty cents a flick. Yeah, so I was like, that's a really good deal. Plus, I was expecting it to be like on one disc or something, but it's like three individual discs. So, like, it's like buying three movies for a dollar. Dollar for that. Um, so I snagged a bunch of movies. Um, it's always exciting. Uh, my wife gets really excited when we go to a Dollar Tree and they have <laughs> movies because she knows I'm not going to be complaining about being at Dollar Tree because I'm just going to be in this like section. <laughs> yeah, and it's um, cheap. I, you, you can come out. You can come away with ten new films. Yeah, you have have spent what ten bucks. And again, there's a lot of movies that I wouldn't buy. Um, like I'm just like that looks like they look like straight to DVD type movies, right? But then you have these gems, and man, when I find like those, I'm just like, oh wow, okay, cool. I can't believe they have this. Like I, I found one copy of Silence amongst like so many DVDs. They had 
three different sections of their store. Like there was a big like bin at the beginning of the store. When you first walked in, there was an end cap in one section that there was no rhyme or reason why it was on this end cap. It was all DVDs. And then on the other side of the store was a second end cap with all DVDs. Again, no, no reason for them to be where they were other than they had too many. Um, and I, you bet best believe I browsed all of them too much. Like I definitely was going through way I too many. Discs. Are you still keeping the cases or are you putting them in the folder? I, I'm putting them in a folder uh, for shelf space reasons. I have a different setup for Blu-ray than I do for DVD, but I do have uh, different. Like I don't keep the the boxes. I have kept like a box, like a like Amazon large box of DVD cases in case uh, if like someone ever wants to borrow one, I have something I can put it in. Right, so I'm not just handing you a disc. Um, what about the cover, like this this slip? So I've, I've probably stupidly have kept all the slips. Um, <laughs> my, my Blu-ray system, the slip is with the discs. The DVD slips, I literally just have like a way too large stack of them. Um, my wife is, is a crafty person. And at some point, she wants to do something with them. I just don't, I don't know what, and I don't know when. And again, Come there's off. so many of them. Uh, I don't know that it would be practical. Like it would be, there's maybe like, you could do a handful of them, but there's mm-hmm. like, there's way too many. I, and some of them, it doesn't matter. Um, a lot of them, I have both digital and physical. So like, I really don't need the, the sleeve anymore, but I still have them. Um, yeah. They're organized and tucked away, but you know. Yep. I'll hear that, my friend my bloody awesome it's just i like having the disc because again i can loan the disc so easily you know um something about i've said it to you before my friend i've had i've had people say to me what are you buying physical for because if i want to watch i mean i I can't pick one out of the off my shelf now uh, as an example but there's going to be a film up there which one day i want to watch and it's not on any streaming services hey look i've got the physical media i'm gonna i'm gonna put that one on or or in terms or the blu-ray sometimes i buy them specifically for what comes with it like the extras and things like that which you don't yeah. always get on a streaming service so as long as it's i mean yeah space is but a premium i may even have to take your idea of getting the folders at some point soon but um, yeah I, I will continue to buy them because i quite I, I don't know i think i don't know maybe we're just that generation you know tangible physical media means a little well, bit more even though we're the ipod generation too i but, mean i'm always nervous like i have a lot of movies on voodoo and i really like voodoo but I don't know what happens if voodoo goes out of business. Like I I feel like I just lose all those movies except for maybe the ones that are connected to movie anywhere. But even then I'm not confident that that will stick. And then with the physical media, there's a chance the disc won't work to be real. Like that I've heard, like we don't really know like the life expectancy of a DVD. Um, still still going 30 years later. Yeah. And and my discs are, uh, you know, they're, they're mine. I still have them. Even if they, I don't know if they won't play, if I'm not putting it in the player, but at least I know they're here. Like if, if DVDs suddenly are like, no more, they're all gone. I have mine. You've got, I know they're here. That away. And what you said as well, not to elongate the point, but is very true. There's been so many times I've gone into a, an, an equivalent over here store or CEX or something. And I'll see a film. And I think usually I think I'm going to buy, why would I buy that? Why would I buy Cowboys and Aliens? 50p oh go on then why not you know or, yeah, or yeah. That i haven't seen I'm, I'm, i haven't watched it yet but it, midnight special adam driver Ooh, um michael shannon can. i was like just 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 a cast alone i was like i'll happily spend a pound on this even if it's it, I, I haven't seen it it could be it could be awful but just a cast alone i was like no I've, I'll, I'll i will buy that because for, i can it's a pound it's intriguing i used to do that i used to buy five dvds for 20 quid and some were great some weren't but it's um 
with, at the price you can get them at now, especially Blu-rays, why not? I mean, I'm ha- I'll happily take a punt if I only spend a fifty p on it and it's rubbish. I'll trade it in and get five p back. Oof, whatever. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not like I spent fifteen pounds as an experiment. So um, that is a bloody awesome way of saying bloody awesome, my friend. Mine isn't as bloody awesome, but it is in some ways. But mine is literally going back to work. Sounds boring. Oh goody, you get to get out and go to work. But after, I mean, I've only been working from home for six weeks. But that's enough for me. I started to get cabin fever and the social interaction. There'll be days where I wouldn't talk to anyone on the on the te- on the phone or the headset at least because my job doesn't involve phoning people or, or answering the phone. Other than you know, I'll call one of my colleagues. Have you got Have you got this? Can I grab that? Can you help me with this? You know, other than that, it's you know, it's, it's fairly quiet in terms of communication. Whereas when you're in the office, you can like I did today and yesterday. I stand up, I walk over. I just want to come say hello because I haven't seen anyone for weeks. I just want to talk about football, sorry, soccer or music or something. So getting back in, getting back out into the world, seeing people talking, uh, getting that routine back. It's great for the old noggin, great for the mental health as well to just get out a bit more. Plus I'm also slightly more focused when I'm at work as well, uh, because you're in that, you're in the zone, but so pretty much very simple. It's very, but, and I know you, 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 you'll understand as well. You're just getting out and getting back to. I know we're not in a normal world at the minute, and we probably won't be for the longest time. But it, we, we, we got there are precautions at work, and you know there are staggered returns for lots of people. But it's being handled in the right way. But it's so good to get out, my friend, and just talk to people and feel like things are getting back to normal again. Even though in the background we know it's not, but it's yeah. good to get out, my friend. So simply just going back to work and getting back in the gr- on the grind. Definitely, man. It's, you know, like you said, uh, I haven't been on lockdown in a while because we in Florida, we're kind of acting like it's not a thing. <laughs> but, um, when, when we were first on lockdown, like at first I was like, ah, this isn't so bad. And yeah, I don't mind. Yeah. And we would like go for like a long drive or whatever, stay in the car, you know, like it was okay. And we live spaced out enough where like we could walk in our neighborhood and like not be near people or whatever. So we, we had some luxuries that other people didn't have, especially like living in big cities where you're like, you can't walk out your door without being in someone else's space. Um, But still it felt oppressive then. So like, I I definitely feel for it and I totally understand getting back into work does make things feel less scary and less alone. So totally, totally think that's same bloody awesome. Thank you, my friend. So uh, our bloody awesome ometer is through the roof this week, but we're going to have to do it all over again next week. So that's the end of this week's show. The spoiler review of Sing Two will drop on Monday, and next week or next week we're going big. You know, we're going, we're going, we're entering the stratosphere. We're going out of this world, you could say. We're talking about Moonfall, Roland Emmerich's Moonfall, which promises to be an experience, whether good or bad. It's going to be an experience. So I am. Um, cautiously optimistic about that film if only to think it's going to be a blast it's <laughs> going to be something a bit rubbish but uh, moonfall so same time next week check out our review of moonfall in the meantime let us know what you thought about sing 2 was it as good as the original and are you looking forward to moonfall uh, you can do that by finding us on social media uh, on twitter at bamp underscore podcast b-a-m-p underscore podcast john where are we on instagram we are at bloody awesome movie pod. Yes, so if you're on Meta or Facebook, bloody awesome movie podcast, you'll find us on there. Individually, you can find me at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. Uh, just search for what I watched tonight on Twitter, Instagram, and good old letterbox as well. Yes. Uh, where can the world find you, JB? 
I am at BurkeReviews.com and at BurkeReviews on all the other social media platforms. Go and check out The Statesman. And if you like what you've just heard, please do consider passing us a five-star rating or review on your podcast provider of choice, which now includes Spotify. It literally takes five seconds to drop a five-star on Spotify. You can do it whilst you listen. Nothing gets impeded. Please do if you enjoy what you've heard because it gets more listeners in and it helps the show grow. And we're all film fans. It gives us another outlet to talk to more and more of you guys each and every week. So thank you in advance. However, with that, as always, Stay bloody awesome and keep watching movies. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Blood, 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 bloody, blood, 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 blood